This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. As we mentioned yesterday, we have the opportunity to have Josh Bales back in the studio with us. So it's Josh and Vinny and Jonathan and myself. So it's good to be in the studio with you gentlemen thank you once again for starting the day with our listeners good to be with you brother but unfortunately we are starting the day talking about sin our producer basically said we need to get our ratings up (laughs) (laughs) that we are failing as a radio program and so we feel yeah. like we so we wanted to depress you. Yes, right yes, yes, yes. So we we want to go rock, really rock bottom. We didn't think we were low enough, and so we're driving that down just a little bit more by talking about sin. And so then we're hoping then then that will help us bottom out, and then we'll come the climb. That's right, uh, the huge climb. We, I'm surprised you didn't mention Ralph Venning's book yesterday, "The Sinfulness of Sin." Like just the title alone—that's oh, yeah, like yes, a New yes, York yes, Times yes. bestseller. Yes, you know, yes, yes. "The Sinfulness of Sin." Yes, yes. Maybe that should be our new title for a radio program. <laughs> the Sinfulness of Sin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but instead, it's the Gospel for Life. If you want to get the a answer hold of to us, sin. yes, yes. <laughs> Get a hold of us. You can get a hold of us with the Gospel for Life Idaho at gmail.com. Actually, most of this series that we're talking about right now is in response to a question that was sent to us by a listener um, who was dealing with indwelling, ongoing sin in his life, feeling like you could not overcome that sin, feeling defeated in his Christian life. And we thought, you know what? He's not alone. He just represents, he was willing to talk about it. He was willing to share some of his story, but he's not alone in that struggle. Um, this is a struggle Jonathan mentioned yesterday from Romans 7. This is a struggle that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote about. And sometimes I think because we so are concerned about maintaining image, that we're not willing to be real. Um, we're not real willing to talk about the struggles that each of us have. And I think sometimes we're not even willing to be real with ourselves. Hmm. And so hopefully during the course of this series, we're, we're allowing for the conversation to begin within, um, but also maybe hopefully encouraging you to have that conversation with others and talk through what it means to, to not just struggle with sin, but be on a path of overcoming sin. And that's really the goal of the gospel, applying the gospel in a way that, that overcomes. But in order to do so, we, you do have to s- step back and, and begin to think about the mechanism of how sin works, how temptation works in, in our lives. Nelson Mandela used to say that as you think about your enemies, you need to know your enemies and you need to know your enemy's favorite sport. And so... We are trying to help us 
you as the listener, us as individuals, to know the enemy and to know his favorite sport. And his favorite sport is deceiving God's people, trying to get God's people to be defeated. And he's really trying to take away our first love. And so we are using some principles out of a book called The Enemy Within by Chris Lungard. And Chris Lungard is really simply taking the thoughts of John Owen and modernizing them. And so he talks about seven techniques of the flesh that affect our first love. And so I'm just going to talk about, or just going to mention each of these seven, and this is going to be the easiest show for me because I'm just throwing out each one and letting the guys in the studio flesh those out, pun intended, and then talk us through them. So the first one is the flesh knows how to eat an elephant. So bit by bit, bite by bite. Uh, some someone once said that uh, sin is like grapes; they always come in clusters, like they don't come one grape at a time. You get the whole batch. Uh, David's famous sin is an example of this. When he killed Uriah, there was a series of sins that led up to it. He first didn't go to war when kings were to go to war. He stayed at home. He wasn't doing his duties. He went out at, at the the rooftop. He looked at Bathsheba. Sin was conceived. He slept with Bathsheba, and then on and on and on. And I think in, as in terms of a personal application, it's like, be aware of that first sin. Be aware of that grape that you're eating because a whole cluster of grapes is right behind them. There needs to be a, a, a putting to death of the first sin um, before it leads to the next. Yeah, this is the great deceptiveness of sin, right? If you, if, I imagine if David were confronted with the fact that, hey, at some point in time, you're going to be a part of a murder conspiracy that starts with an adulterous affair, uh, he would have rejected that immediately. But if it started with just a little bit of laziness, yep. just a little bit of sitting at home when I should be taking the responsibility that God's given me, yep. uh, it's, it's a slow slide. People are running red lights, you know, basically. You know, you, you, don't, you wonder how they get to the point that they do, but there were certain red lights that they had come to, and they ran them uh, repeatedly. And they finally are like David, who's involved in this conspiracy to murder. And part of it is just simple, can be just simply neglect. It it won't matter that much if I don't read my Bible today. Mm-hmm. It won't matter that much if I don't pray today. It won't matter. And it's it's those little, little steps. Yeah, yeah. it's it's small things. Yeah, so, it, you know, one little bite's not going to hurt me. One little look's not going to hurt me. One little thought's not going to hurt me. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the one little is not going to. Hurt, yeah. and that's where you begin. That's that. That's that whole idea of, you know, when you say the flesh knows how to eat an elephant. You know, it's it's how do you do that? Well, one bite at a time. It takes the first bite. Yeah, it's the old joke about change in the church. How do you move the piano across the stage? One inch at a time. Uh, how does sin destroy your life? One little bit at a time. Yeah. The second one is the flesh dresses us up in tuxedos and evening gowns. That one might need a little bit of explanation. Well, I like what you said at the beginning when you were saying that the idea of being um, vulnerable or authentic or or real or transparent, I I can't remember which image you used, but the easiest way to hide sin is to clean the outside of the cup. 
like what Jesus said in Matthew 23 to the Pharisees. So cleaning the outside of the cup is equivalent to, well, I'm just going to, you know, dress myself up in tuxedos and evening gowns. I'm going to hide who I really am. I'm not going to deal with the internal aspects of of my heart. I'm going to simply, you know, exercise behavior modification. So maybe that's not the direction that, that you were thinking with that one, but certainly that applies. Yeah, I think I think of first John one eight. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Um, when we begin to manifest an outer life that is not a reflection of our inner life, we've already fallen into deception. We're already creating a false self that is inconsistent with who we really are in the inside. It's why we've got to start with dealing with sin on our interior motivations, our thoughts, our affections, uh, before we start dealing with it exterior. Yeah. The Pharisees were great at, at wearing tuxedos and evening gowns. Yeah. But they didn't care about the, the internal. Yeah. Maybe the other aspect of this one, too, is sin often manifests itself as an exercise of righteousness. There's this really great book uh, called The 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 Nazi conscience that was written several years ago. And in the foreword, the author said that the road to Auschwitz was paved with self-righteousness because what Hitler sold was not the annihilation of the Jews, but what he sold was the idea of having a righteous race. And so sin was dressed up as a righteousness. And I think that happens often. I mean, just think about our culture, like cancel culture right now. It's seen as a virtue to cancel people that you, it's seen as a righteousness to cancel people that, that disagree with you. Mm-hmm. The third one is the flesh sends us down rabbit trails. This is when things that are not the, the center of our faith um, become the main thing. Um, so uh, leading us away from the gospel, leading away from our secure identity in Christ, uh, and again, I think this can tie into religiousness and religiosity where we, we make minor things major things, and it leads to a pride and self-righteousness that we can begin to impose on other people. Um, it can also lead us into chasing things that just pull us away from Christ in terms of temptation and sin and practices. I had an uncle that was a missionary for a long time in South Africa, and, and really what happened was he, he went over and his primary concern was the gospel when he began, and then all of a sudden... Um, all of the mess of, of South Africa. He got involved in a lot of social justice, social issues. And really what happened was he was still doing things that were, were good things, but the gospel got lost. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what happens here. Um, the flesh kind of attempts us away from the, the core. Yep. And, and we're not, we don't have to necessarily be doing bad things. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's the scary thing. Um, from the outside, it can still look good. But we got away from the, the, the core. Yeah, the illustration of, of a rabbit trail, right, is, is a small, narrow pathway that a small creature uses away from the main path. Mm-hmm. Fourth, the flesh turns sins into a cuddly pet. Whoever wrote this did not know my dog. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed, same. Same, same. No, you you have pets, but you don't have cuddly pets. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I think in that C.S. Lewis uh, great divorce, is it, you know, the, the person actually has, a, you know, sin sitting on his shoulder and he's offered to have it killed and done away with, but he doesn't want to get rid of it. Mm. He actually likes it somewhat. I mean, he, he says he doesn't like it, but he actually has grown to like it. Um, you know, that's, it's kind of, in some ways, 
you know, some people have pets like that. They don't like the lick marks on the window. They don't like the, you know, the messes that the dog leaves, but they actually like their pet. Their pet. If somebody said anything bad about that, they would, they would be upset. And this is where we, we get with our sin. We actually um, kind of cherish that little, those, those indiscretions that we might make uh, when nobody's looking. Owen would say that we domesticate our sin. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a good insight into how we deal with like sin. Like tame it? Tame it. It becomes, well, like here, a cuddly pet. I think that's a deceptive nature too, is thinking that we can domesticate our yep. sin. And what we mean is we, we normalize it and, and we keep it around with us so we get used to its presence. But eventually, yeah. sin you, sin will not be mastered. Yeah. It is never satisfied. It eventually becomes your master. You, where you end up serving it, uh, it mm-hmm. does not serve you. Fifth, the flesh pumps up our heads and shrivels our hearts. Yeah, I mean... How often, just experientially in church, do we see arrogance and, and conceit? Um, well, and maybe this is easier in, in circles that are maybe more theological. It's easier to see that, oh, I get these notions in my head and it pumps my head up. But the person who is, is oftentimes the most theological in the room sometimes has the smallest heart in the room, um, which is... Paul would say that knowledge puffs up. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Which we, we of course know that 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 Jesus Christ is the uh, epitome, the omnipresent fullness of knowledge and wisdom. And knowledge is not a bad thing, right? But it's, it's when we turn it on ourselves and we use it as an end for ourselves. Or that knowledge doesn't make its way into our heart; it just becomes knowledge. Six: the flesh gets us to do our own thing. The individualization of the faith again, drawing away from Christ, community, fellowship. And then last but not least, the flesh is a cat that gets our tongue. Which we'll get to see this one in the next show, right? Yep, yep. Um, it, it cuts us off from communion with God. It cuts us off from praying to God and meditating upon God. Mm-hmm. Well, that is all the time we have for today. We will continue this series on our next show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you then. 